Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Primetime with Alex Stein. I'm your mentally deranged talk show host, Primetime 99 Alex Stein. And I know a lot of you out there may be struggling right now. And that's never easy. The stress of barely making ends meet or being in massive debt will drive even the most sane man mad. But this doesn't have to be the case for everyone. Some people in the world are able to overcome life's challenges and still achieve greatness. And I know that sounds all fine and dandy, but it's actually not. Because having a good life that you enjoy is a toxic, gosh dang it, let me start it from the top, gosh dang it, sorry, I won't mess up this time, is a form of toxic, it's hard to say toxic successfulness. With Alex Stein. That was my monologue that we uh, did not get done. And I, yeah, I record the monologue right before the show. It's a couple minutes. We try to air it so we have a little time at the start of the show, a little buffer. But once again, I messed up. I didn't do it right. I recorded it wrong. And that's typical of me. I'm actually a professional when it comes to messing things up. So when you're watching the primetime Alex Stein show, expect a lot of mistakes. Because that's life, you know what I mean? I mean, we're not going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. So when you watch this show, do not expect perfection. But you can expect perfection when it comes to our lovely in-studio guest, the one, the only famous online internet personality, the one, the only Melanie Mack. Welcome to the show, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I know, but can you believe this? Are we trying to start the show. We're trying to play the monologue. I'm with this beautiful lady, and now I'm embarrassed. I can't <laughs> even do this show correctly. I'm over here, you know, grabbing my ass. And I mean, literally, I don't even know what to grab onto. We're on a blimp. I don't want this thing to freaking crash, Melanie. So... Listen, we're going to get this show. I know sometimes when the flight starts on a blimp, it's a little turbulent, but we're going to get to a cruising altitude and smooth things out shortly. But I want you to stay tuned because we have an incredible episode. Tonight, we have one of the most famous attorneys of all time, Alan Dershowitz, on the program to talk about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, as well as his long history representing intense clients like O.J. Simpson, Mike Tyson, Donald Trump. That's just to name a few. So we have an action-packed show with Alan because... I'm going to press him a little bit. A lot of his views on the vaccine and a lot of his uh, relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, I think, deserves some questions. And I think us as the audience deserve some answers. So that's towards the end of the episode. So you got to stay the whole time. So please watch that. And we also have the incredible Dean Kane. You might know him from playing a little character called Superman. So tonight, if you know, if you're familiar with Superman, expect to see a little bit of bizarro world. So now we got the introduction out of out of the way. I didn't get to get into my monologue. And, and one of the topics of it, though, I, I want to ask your opinion on, Melanie, what do you think about toxic successfulness? And I think the biggest, you know, uh, violator of this or the, the most toxic successful person is James O'Keefe. So what do you think about James O'Keefe getting ousted at Project Veritas? Uh, I, I, I will admit I'm not super versed on this side of things. I'm more focused on, you know, getting the woke politics out of gaming and all that. Yeah. But... I did see the video with the dude on a date and <laughs> admitting all the Pfizer stuff. Yes. I thought that was impressive. I think I'm just going to stand with James O'Keefe on this. He seems like he was the one who started everything. And hey. That's what I'm saying. But I think you get so successful. I believe, like you said, with that Pfizer thing, that some sort of outside influence had to take him out. But you nailed it. I mean, I know you're so dialed in with the gaming community. Mm -hmm. And right now, the hot topic uh, issue, and I actually got in a little trouble for this. As a joke, we burned a Harry Potter book, and when I caught it on <laughs> fire, I sprayed a fire extinguisher, and I damaged some of the equipment, and I kind of damaged some of the crew, but that's that's neither here nor there. I love the crew. I love the crew, but, like, you know, kind of, we can replace a crew now. A thousand dollar camera, we can't replace that. So, I apologize for any damaging any equipment, uh, Mr. Beck, our supreme leader. Okay, no, but let's get back to what I'm trying to say is, now... When you look at these freaking, you look at Harry Potter, mm -hmm. this game is the hottest game. It's called Hogwarts Legacy, but young people that love the Harry Potter franchise or love this game are considered a bigot or a transphobe if they're playing it. Is that correct? Right, yeah. It's been insane. And the thing is, is the gaming industry has just been completely hijacked by woke politics. It's been insane. And it's to the point to where, you know, used to gamers were edgy. You know, you had Grand Theft Auto, all that kind of stuff. It was like, we had fun 
doing just crazy things in, in video games and being able to be bad guys in video games and all that. And so to have this woke ideology hijack gaming is just the most anti-gamer thing you could possibly do is what it feels like. But the beauty of Hogwarts Legacy is that it has, you know, it, it's it's just erupted something. Because why? Because you get to be gamers. a wizard? So so what does it kind of bring you the nostalgia back of reading the book? That's what I've right, seen. I mean, it's for fans of, of Harry Potter, but then also I think a lot of people just have fun playing it because it is a great game. And then to kind of just be like, oh, okay, go ahead and call me a bigot on my stream. That's fun. I named my character <laughs> I'm a bigot. <laughs> <laughs> That's that funny. made it even more fun. Wait, so when you're gaming, are the people going nuts though and they see your, I mean, the, the people on your stream? Some of them were, but yeah, they most, have to... see, here's the thing is, I didn't, when it comes to being like a content creator, all that kind of stuff, it's like, who are you going to pander to? The fun people? Or are you going to pander to the perpetually offended? And so it's those who built fan bases from people who are offended constantly over everything and all just obsessed with this woke ideology. They're the ones that feel like they can't play the game because their own audience is going to turn against them. But then the rest of us... <laughs> Yeah. We're having a blast with it. We're memeing about it. We're just joking with it. Hey, go ahead. Hate raiders, come into my chat. <laughs> Call me a bigot. It'll be a great time. No, and I think you nailed it. I mean, when you look at guys, I, I, I use the example of Ethan Klein. This is a guy that was like edgy, and now because his audience is so woke, yep. he basically has to be woke. He's not even, anytime he does yep. something edgy, you know, he gets all this kickback for it. It's like because you curated, or I, don't, I can't even say that right, because you developed this audience that is so politically correct, once you're politically incorrect, you get just totally crushed and quote-unquote mm -hmm. canceled. And I think that's why at least I've been successful is that in the last couple of years I've been politically incorrect. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's the same for you because you're not afraid to be right. quote-unquote politically incorrect? Yeah, I mean, I had one of the bigger cancel campaigns against me about two years ago, and I probably lost a good 90% of my colleagues Shut of friends up. that were friends in the gaming space. Now, follower-wise, I didn't see, I, I, I didn't lose anything, uh, you know, I stayed net positive because yeah. I had a really cool follower base anyway, but in terms of other streamers, people in the they gaming industry. They didn't want to industry. associate with you, Melly. Shut yeah. up. I lost a good 90% of them because I was against the jab mandates because I didn't get the jab. And, you know, of course, that whole narrative of I'm selfish and all that. So they just cut me off. They're, the wow. small amount that remained, most of them are like, oh, we can stay your friend, but I don't want people knowing we're friends. So they're secret <laughs> friends, so you're in the closet friendships. Yes. Wow. See, you know, and that that's just really annoying because, I mean, Melanie, I mean, I, I followed your content. We've been on streams together, and, and I know, obviously, you kind of, whatever, probably skew a little more conservative, but you're not some political person. You're not right. some You're not some person that's trying to, like, ideologically get people convinced to be on your side. You seem very... Do what you feel is best because mm -hmm. I've been in debates with you, which that's what I respect you because you and I are similar in that. It's like if somebody is different than me, I don't hate them because they right. like Joe Biden now. I think Joe Biden's an idiot, but so there's good people that like Joe Biden. Like, why would I dislike somebody because they're politically different than me? I think that's a dumb. Exactly. People have just gotten way too cultish with this kind of thing, and they're just judging everyone's complete character based on who they voted for, who they didn't vote for, what they feel on this stance or that stance, and... I just, I miss when the internet was a lot more of a free-for-all and everybody just had their own different opinions. People weren't butthurt all the time. Yeah. You could say what you want without being censored. It was a good time back well, in the day. Have you heard about this new platform, Kick? I haven't used Kick. I haven't. Okay, no. so there's a new one and like Aiden Ross and a lot of these big uh, uh, streamers are trying to migrate there. But there they can you can they can show porn. So that's the new thing. <laughs> I know it's disgusting. No, that's why they say that. No, seriously. It's like Tumblr again. <laughs> kind of yes, basically. And so now people are trying to migrate over to Kick. And, right. and the reason why that's bad is because listen, if you're an adult and you show porn, I guess that's legal. But it's not legal to show porn to children, and that's right. what they're on a stream. So it's I mean it's a, a crime, and uh, so that's why it's a big issue. I, I've I've heard a lot of people in the streaming community talk about that. So it's kind of this weird way where they censor us. So then because we're so censored, then we have to go to this other platform. We have to show hardcore pornography. It's like I mean I'm not saying <laughs> yeah, that's the like answer, there's no, but there's no find that middle ground right now. <laughs> and, and, and like, I, I just don't know what the solution is on the internet. I get that Amazon and, yeah. and or excuse me, YouTube has to have a terms of service. But the, the fact is,
people, their whole livelihood, and I see this all the time on Twitter, people that are that build a channel that aren't even that political, but then they lose their whole channel because of mass reporting. Yep. So it's like literally your whole livelihood, if oh, you yeah. get if you get cyber attacked or cyber stalked, they can take it away from you in an instant and mm -hmm. you don't have a day in quote unquote YouTube court right. where like you say you can appeal it, but unless a human being actually touches and, and deals with your appeal, I think it's gonna get denied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough. I, I still don't know how I haven't been banned on Twitch or mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't been banned on YouTube yet or from all these mass reporting, all that. I am I am really surprised I've survived this long without getting any ban or demonetized or anything like that because the woke mob has been on my case and after me. So Oh, but let's not I don't want to give I don't want to give this person too much kudos, but isn't there somebody that's coming after you in your personal life lately? Oh uh, Yeah, I mean <laughs> there's been a bit of a stalker situation, yeah. And I mean and that has to be very scary because I'm a big six foot three, two hundred and fifty pound guy. No, I mean you stalk me. I mean i we're gonna have problems, but Melanie, you're very you're great shape. I bet you could kick a lot of guys' asses, but I'm just saying, you know, know, you're a woman and you don't wanna be attacked by some creepy stalker. That has to be very yeah. nerve wracking. Yeah, it, it was it was creepy indeed. Uh it was funny because it happened at Debate Con, which we that's had where our the, panel. Yes. Wait, 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 okay, I'm gonna hear the story. So that's where the stalker is that where they first saw you or something? Well, he actually he knew I was gonna be there because I mentioned it on yeah. my Instagram stories all that and he he said he he was like oh Melanie Mack, this could be my future wife. I'm gonna drive 15 hours and go <laughs> no, see her. No, he didn't drive 15 <laughs> hours to Dallas. <laughs> wow. Dude, what did he do? Did and he like, so bring you like a, a dead cat or something? I didn't know at the time when at DebateCon when he introduced himself. I didn't know. And there was, was like, like probably like 80 people there or does something. Does he like work here? Is he a follower? I didn't know uh, what the situation was at first and it wasn't until after because I ended up blocking him on social media after for saying something kind of creepy and gross. And so then he started making hate videos about me, which is very unhinged. And, and, he, has and, no, then, and then, he has no channel, though. Right? He admitted everything in like a 40 minute long video where he's like, oh, yeah. And so this is my thought process. You know, she could be my future wife. So I'm going to drive 15 hours. And did you hours watch the whole thing? I, I could only watch a little bit of it. My mods on Discord, they they gave me like they the, gave you the rundown. They gave me yeah. the rundown. Because that would give me the heebie-jeebies. It, it scared me because... Uh, he, when I showed up, which was at an unannounced time, I didn't show up and when it first opened up. I, it was all day. Our it was panel all day. was at seven. Yeah. It, for the people knowing, mm -hmm. we did a thing called DebateCon where there was multiple debates and there was, you know, different topics. And Melly and I were one of the top, or whatever, the last topic. And it was a group debate. So he wouldn't have known unless he was like yeah, really dialed in. What, yeah, what time? And so I showed up at like 3.30, 4, something like that. And then he was in the parking lot. And that's where he said, Melanie, and... Uh, again, I didn't know he was nice who at he first. Was. I'm he guessing. was yeah. nice, so I didn't really think anything of it. But the fact that he was waiting in the parking lot for That's me weird. was creepy. And then by the time I left, uh, he left a, a note on my car. Uh, so that night, when which, you leave a note on a car, it never is going to be good, guys. Ever? No. Like I'm just telling you, if you're out there and you're like, "Oh, this hot chick, I'm going to leave her my phone number." No, she's going to report you to the FBI for being a stalker. That never works. Yeah, and I think, uh, and, and plus he's a lot older, and it was just yeah, very describe the guy. Uncomfortable. I mean, like was he? He was an older guy. Was he fat? Was he thin? Uh, was I don't he... know. Not not necessarily fat, but. Well, do you think he could? A girlfriend he's, on his own? I mean, I, I'm sure his age. He could, yeah, oh yeah, he's older. But he he looks like he's like 60, 65, and I'm just I was I was very uncomfortable with that whole situation. So now it's like now it's it's just this big thing. I'm like talking to a lawyer about it, you trying are, to get things get the figured out because I filed a police report just out of my own concern and all that, and then kind of left it at that, and then. And then on Valentine's Day of all days, oh my gosh, I got happened? served papers <laughs> to go to his court uh, Wait, in Florida. For what? And I was like, what? What is this about? And so then I, I like frantically made all these calls because it was for the next day. I was like, there's no way. And so uh, then apparently he wanted to do a reverse Uno and get me for stalking <laughs> because no, he didn't. <laughs> This guy is insane. So he, he was scared of that my followers were going to hurt him. And I obviously told my followers, don't come after this guy or anything <laughs> like that. Um, 
but yeah, so then he did that, and so then I was on a Zoom call for that court hearing. And you did the Zoom court hearing? Oh I my did. God! Wait, and then you actually did it. So, so he what is he trying to say? Defamation or that he's? Or, no, he was just straight up saying he wrote out on there like, I know she has a gun, and and she mentioned that she wanted to go to Disney World, and I live in Florida, so she's gonna come after me with a gun and all this crazy stuff, and then her followers are gonna try to hurt me, and the. The judge, basically, she was like, if I would have seen this before, I would have never got this far. This is ridiculous. And yeah. she just dismissed it right away. So, yeah, I thought, well, I thought this would just go away on its own. But apparently it's not going to. And I've got to figure out what no, the heck I'm going to do. You, you do now. I, at first, I was going to say, maybe don't do the TRO because then it gets you involved with the guy, you know, right. you know, because then now you're involved with him. But yeah. now that he's trying to get involved with you legally, I mean, I'm not an attorney by any means. Do not take my legal right. advice. Maybe you can ask Alan Dershowitz. He's an attorney. But I'm saying now I probably would do something legally because he started that. And obviously the yeah. judge sees a pretty girl and some creepy old guy. She's probably like, yeah, I think I know who is stalking who. So, okay. Um, uh, do we need to do the ad read before we bring on Dean? I need to know that. Or should we bring on Dean? Okay, guys, you know, we got to pay the bills here. You <laughs> must start taking care of your liver now more than ever. Why? Because the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were 3.5 times more likely to have heart failure than those without. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw everything at our livers. Cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, statins, cigarettes. Why? So many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight is because all those things we're throwing at it. So for decades, your liver has helped you with over 500 key functions every single day. It's your time to help your liver. There is a solution, Liver Health Formula. It's an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the US of A and approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, Try Liver Health Formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. That's right, five. First, you'll receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce those sugar cravings. You're also getting four free ebooks to support every aspect of your health. Try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com slash Alex and claim your five free bonus gifts today. Liverhelp.com slash Alex, go help your liver, guys. I know you're freaking wearing it out. If you're watching this show, you're probably drunk as a skunk. So get some of this stuff and help your liver out. Okay, enough with the commercials. Now we get to the main attraction. Well, we have a couple of main attractions, but a very special main attraction. I know Melanie is a big time gamer. She's definitely into the superhero and comic book um, sphere, even more so than I am. But as a young kid, this for me was one of my favorite TV show, Superman. So I just want to welcome on legendary actor and your mom's favorite Superman, the one, the only, <laughs> Dean Kane. Dean, welcome to Brownstown with Alex Stein. Alex, I'm glad you said your mom's favorite and not your grandma's favorite. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But Dean, you're still a very handsome young man. But first, you know, I want to get all into it. You know, I, we have a, a lot of stuff because I don't even want to talk about my producer yet, but he's just like you, a Princeton graduate. And we will not shut the heck up about it, Dean. No, no, we're going to get into that later. But explain to me this, Dean, and I ask this because, listen, I'm not some primetime actor like you, but I was in an Ozarko water bottle commercial and a TGI Fridays commercial. So as a thespian, as a fellow thespian, Dean, how did you get started? Because you're a masculine guy playing football. Did everybody say, oh, why do you want to be an actor? That's that's for girly men. Uh, so how did you break that, uh, that stigma? Well, that is very true. Um, I broke that stigma because I grew up in, first of all, I grew up in Hollywood. Um, not actually Hollywood, Malibu, California. My dad was a director, so all the kids that I grew up with, Sean Penn, Chris Penn, Rob Lowe, Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, they kind of were actors, you know? <laughs> and my dad directed them all uh, while I was in college in a film called young guns. So I was around it. I knew I was going to end up there eventually in that, in that business because it was a lot more exciting than all my other friends were doing. You know, they were all Wall Street brokers and uh, that, you know, wearing a suit in New York City in, in the, the heat of July and August, which is nasty. I was like, I don't want to do that. I'd rather be on these sets, make movies, tell stories, 
so some of those guys became billionaires, so maybe I screwed up. But uh, it was the right choice for me. And then I got to Buffalo. I was playing for the Bills for a short time. I got injured, and um, you know, I, I didn't really believe that I was out. I thought I'd be able to come back after I had surgery and such, but I, I, w- I was done. Um, and I realized about five years later, when I was actually playing Superman, when I came out to Buffalo, and I was on, I was there to be a captain of the football uh, uh, captain yeah. pregame Buffalo Bills versus Miami Dolphins. Whoever won won the division. December cold, big game was out there. Flip, I got to do the flip of the coin, the whole thing. It was me, Jim Kelly, Bruce Smith, wow, Dan Marino. I was like, this is awesome, Andre Reed. And Andre Reed actually caught a pass right in front of me. I was on the sideline late in game, tried to turn it up for first down, just got smashed. Uh, stood up, just kind of, you know, kind of just bent over a little bit, standing right next to me. He turns to me and he goes, Dean, how do you get into that acting thing anyway? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, good, because my body was feeling a lot better than his was at that exact moment. Now, um, but, well, but, I, would, I, was, I just want to cut you off. I'm saying I think you made the smart choice. Would you rather be a, a famous actor than have CTE now, Dean? I mean, I feel bad for all these pro athletes. I mean, I love sports, but but I mean, they're, they're gladiators. They don't get to come out, you know, like they came in. They're basically, you know, their bodies are demolished. And so I, I almost think it was a blessing that you might have got injured earlier, or else you could have some serious damage. I mean, I know, I know, I, as a football fan, you know, it's worth it. I'm sure you would have died on a football field. But really, obviously, hindsight, it was the best thing that ever could have happened for you. In my opinion. Well, you know, I, my son's 22 years old now, and he started playing tackle football, and that question came up a lot. You know, should he play? Should he be in there banging his head around? And, and football is the kind of thing that, like, I had to play. Yeah. yeah I, you couldn't stop me from playing. So um, I like what they're doing now, uh, you know, with the with the with some of the, some of the rules, trying to leave with the shoulders, stay out of the head, uh, trying to protect players. But football is a violent game. It's going to happen. You guys are going to get knocked out. I was knocked unconscious once. I've had tests. I don't have I don't have any brain damage. No, you don't have any brain damage, Dean. I hope I'm not insinuating that. You definitely do not. But you name some of your classmates. Obviously, the Estevez is Emilio Estevez, his brother Charlie Sheen. I know he had a different name. So, kind of, can you give us a little inside baseball? What was that like? Was that pretty wild? Uh, I imagine. Uh, what was the cliff notes of that that experience? Not really. It really, Alex. Yeah. Honestly, it was. I thought everybody grew up in Malibu. <laughs> I thought everybody had a beach they could just walk out to and go surfing. <laughs> I thought everybody's parents you know, made movies. I, I didn't really realize that my dad, I mean, I knew he made movies because I had to go be in them. Yeah. I had to go be in them or work <laughs> on them because that's what you have to do. He makes me say these words. I'm like, why do I have to, I don't want to, I remember Chris Penn stole one of my first lines ever. Um, I didn't want to say it. I was like, this, I don't want to say that. And he's like, anybody else want to say this? And Chris Penn was like, yeah, I'll say it. And he did a good job. And I was like, wow, he just stole my line. Um, but you know, I just thought that was normal. I didn't think of it as anything special. I didn't think um, I was special for doing it. Not by a long shot. I'd rather be playing football or surfing. Yeah, did you uh, so, did you play for Malibu High School? So you obviously it was at the Malibu High that you played at. Where did you play football? Malibu High, High School, school didn't exist when I was there. Uh, it was Malibu Park Junior High School. So we had to go to Santa Monica to play football, and then we had a great program. We won the CIF Southern Section, and we were we were we were like I think off of our team, like 16, 18 players went Division One. Oh, uh, wow. and, played, and five or six of us went to the NFL. So we had a, we had a good squad. Well, and that, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Los Angeles, that area, I mean, just that whole sphere, obviously there's going to be a lot of great athletes. So tell me this, Odin, you know, now in this cancel culture world, uh, you've been in Hollywood your whole life. When was it changed? I think the 90s, they, were afraid to, they weren't afraid to be politically incorrect. When did Hollywood become so politically correct? Because now it stinks. There's, I mean, there's, you know, you'd say mainstream Hollywood. I, I don't know a really great movie that's come out in the past four or five years that I can just name off the top of my head. That's a really good, you know, Shawshank Redemption. I mean, you look at the 90s, there's some of the best movies. I think the top movies of 1995, it's literally like Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction. And the top movies of 2022, I believe one of them was Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Top Gun. I mean, so, and, you know, Top Gun is a recreation, so we can't even create new crap, Dean. I enjoyed Top Gun, I'm not going to lie. It was no, a good I, movie, I yeah. It. it was, and it was pro-America, and, and, and I liked the way they did that and didn't shy away from that part of it. So I, I was happy about that. You know, being in the arts, uh, being someone who creates shows and product and things for people to either learn or watch or enjoy or make them feel something, having the fear of cancel culture is an absolute anvil over your head. Yeah. Uh, it's worse for comedians, as you should know. Uh, it's the worst because anything you say or do that is edgy, which is what comedians are supposed to be, um, you, you get canceled over. You could be Dave Chappelle and be uncancelable, but there's about six people who, who have that label and bless those who do and those who still speak out. 
I, I, I'm not worried about it. I don't pay attention to it. I think it's a pendulum. It's gone very, very far one way. It's going to come back the other way. Uh, I just think that's the way it works. I think we, it's all cyclical. And right now we're in a, a ridiculous uh, part of the cycle. And, and I, I can't keep my mouth shut. Uh, they've tried to cancel me, I don't know, 40 times yeah. uh, at least. And, and anything, I, anytime I say something or tweet something or play a character who's, who's not me or whatever it is, they come after you. I'm, I'm Japanese by birth. My given name is Tanaka. I've been called a white supremacist more times <laughs> than I can. I'm, like, I'm confused. I'm totally confused. Uh, but, I mean, that's the thing. Anytime they don't agree with you, you're a Nazi, you're a white supremacist, uh, you're a xenophobe, you're a homophobe, you're a transphobe. I'm not afraid of any of those things. Yeah, and I know you're not a transphobe because, I mean, obviously you're a good guy. And I'm not a transphobe. That You know, they try to call me a transphobe because I made fun of Leah Thomas beating all the women in NCAA championships. That Obviously, you know, I'm not a transphobe. I, I believe trans people should exist and they should have the right to exist. But, you know, uh -huh. the, the sexualization of children, it's like I think that's where we're going a little crazy. But but we, we, we have this, though, the idea now, and it sounds crazy. I think it's – I forget, Melanie, you might know better than me, but one of the recent Superman comic books, now Superman yep. is becoming gay – and I'm not anti-gay. I'm not a homophobe. But I mean, what is going on now? Superman is gay. I mean, I mean, is is anything sacred? Is anything? Can we keep anything the same? Do we have to make everything gay or trans? Like, is that the future in your opinion, Dean? Because you talk about the pendulum, but right now that pendulum is still swinging left. It hadn't come back yet. Uh, not yet. Yeah, I would say so. Can I actually talk to to Melanie? Is she there? Oh yeah, Melanie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just so she's she's prettier than you are. Yes, there. way prettier. Shows, yes, Charlie's <laughs> gorgeous. Not, yes. Okay. It shows that Superman is definitely not gay. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, here's the thing. So on that, you know, Superman's son is what that was about. Mm -hmm. It was I forget what it was even called. I, I and I said, um, and this was last year. I said, you know, in 2021, 2022, it's not brave or bold to have you yeah. know uh, Superman be gay. I mean, that's like bandwagoning because every other character has been gay and 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 the comics for the longest time. So uh, let me tell you a little something about that, that comic. Uh, it already died. It's already gone. Oh yeah. Cause uh, nobody wanted to read it. It was, uh, I guess it was ridiculous. He was dating a, um, the, the boy he's dating there was a, um, what they call him. He was some sort of an activist, a hacktivist. <laughs> a hacktivist. That's what he was. And I was like, I can't, I'm not even the slightest bit interested in that. I'm interested in Superman and Lois having kids, Clark and Lois having kids and what those kids would do. But, uh, they, you know, he was standing up for, he was, he was picketing for this or whatever. And I, I was just like, I'm very uninterested in this. And apparently so was the general public. Right. When I saw like the, the whole protesting climate change. Okay. This is Superman. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to buy a Superman comic, do you really just want to read about Superman protesting climate change or do you want to see him kick some butt? You know, <laughs> I'd like to see him do nice, wonderful, good things. Even if it's getting a cat out of a tree and be a wonderful, kind person, mm -hmm. uh, being, and then, you know, have a little fun. I like it when Superman is lighter. I like the Christopher Reeve version. Yeah. Uh, I like the George Reeves, uh, uh, television show before, way before your guys' time, but I like those. I like it being, so I, I enjoy the lighter part of, of Superman. Um, Henry Cavill did a great job, but that Zack Snyder universe is just dark. And I didn't, I didn't like it as much. And my son didn't like it as much. He's a little personally, you know, uh, invested there with his dad. So uh, <laughs> he hated the show. He's like, Superman got killed. I'm not, no spoiler alerts there. It's been out for years. Yes. You know, Batman versus Superman. He's like, I didn't like the movie at all. Superman died. And I was like, I know it's just that he's like, no, it's like, all right, buddy. All right. Let him, I, I, hey, I, he didn't want to see his dad's character die like that. I don't blame him. Okay, but we, we, we got to let you go shortly, but we got a couple more questions right before I let you go. First one I want to say is when you were actually auditioning, and I know, you know you've been on a million auditions, uh, but you had a unique experience that you had to make out with 10 different women in the screen test. I know, I, I mean, but seriously, people act like that's so easy. I'd be kind of nervous. Were you a little nervous, a little anxiety, or were you like, oh, I'm ready to do this? I mean, be honest, Dean. I know you're a handsome man, and you, I'm sure you've had a lot of girlfriends, but come on, 10 random girls, that, I, I'd still be a little nervous. That's how. That's why I was Superman, and you weren't. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> God, Dean, you just owned me. Oh, my God. Okay, we're getting done with it.
the, that's why he's Superman. That's why he's with all the hot babes. And I'm freaking, uh, you know, just sitting here just twiddling my thumbs, as they say. Okay, listen, I, I want before I let my producer ask a question, but I got to make this complaint. What is this problem, Dean? Why do people from Princeton never shut up about going to Princeton? We just shut up. It's not the only you know college what? in the world. You're right. It's not the only college in the world. It's just the best college <laughs> in the world. It is a That's very good it. university. Yeah, oh, look at that. There's my best friend, Sean Brennan, number 13. And myself as a young junior, very, very skinny. And Coach Verbit right there, who is, who is famous. Um, and Jimmy, listen, there's no Princeton football player in the last 35 years that has gone through that program who doesn't know Coach Verbit. And I'm sure Jimmy has some stories he may or may not share. Jimmy being your producer who's a Princeton grad. Yeah, and he loves you. Okay, but but now he has to. We got to give him the producer question. So let's see how much how how big of a bomb this question can be. So Jimmy, go away. Do not embarrass me in front of Super. Yes. Jimmy, you're already embarrassed. I didn't even know you're wearing. I can't see what he's wearing, Dean. Hold on. Look. Okay, Where'd you go? Oh, oh, oh. Let's now go. Now he's getting his gear. Oh, man. oh, oh let's my go. Gosh. Oh. Look at this. What? The helmet, bro. Let's go. The game-worn helmet. And you have the gamer chair and the Bills helmet. Oh, now oh. you're just showing off. Yeah. That's my helmet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, Jimmy, All ask right, a question can, to Superman. All right, can you hear me? It's hard to talk through my helmet. Yes. All right, awesome. So, Dean, um, I talked to Coach Serace last night. So, he's the Prince of Football head coach. Um, so, with the millions you've made in Hollywood, why aren't you signing every Princeton recruit to NIL deals? Like... Why don't you just tell them to promote your movies on Instagram and pay them a million dollars per post? I think it's we could turn Princeton into a powerhouse. So what's what's holding you back? I just need to get a little tighter with Jeff Bezos first, so I can steal some of his money. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, you know, I wish Jeff Bezos were more of a Prince uh, football fan because he's a Princeton grad, and man, we could be like Alabama with that. We we very well could be. There's no question. Look, uh, uh, I'd like to be able to sign those. The back then in my day, that would have been a NCAA violation, but nowadays the world is changing. That's for sure. So uh, I'll look into it, Jimmy. We'll, give me a call. We'll start working this out. Okay, perfect. Okay. Yeah, I think. Okay, Jimmy. Get, Jimmy oh, I got one more. I, I got, got one got... more. I got a surprise oh. question, Alex. Okay. 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 Last one, Dean. How would you describe Prince reunions? Because it's hard to describe to people. People don't realize it's Jimmy, the nobody second. Cares about it's Prince the second biggest alcohol shipment in the country. Nobody's smart enough to go to school there. I don't know how they let you in. I guess they let in people with mental health issues. I guess. What I mean. What did they? Ha I mean. Ha Nobody cares about it. I mean, you and Dean can talk about the Princeton stuff when you guys go back to Princeton. Let me finish my interview with Superman, please. I only get. Oh, you got to show the reunions graphic, though. Okay, show the reunions graphic. I thought it was the number three drinking event in the United States, but I guess it's number two now. Yeah, imagine a bunch of rich CEOs acting like children like that. Oh, it's wonderful. That's exactly. That's what we do, and that's why we love Princeton. <laughs> well, all right, okay. I'll go away. I'll shut up about okay, Princeton. Bye. Okay, but before I let you go, Dean, thank you so much for coming on. It is an honor and a privilege to speak with you, Dean. And, and I want to tell before you go, tell us about your next movie, Little Angels. I want you to get out all the plugs and tell everybody how they can support you. Because, guys, if you support Dean, he's a good guy. A lot of these Hollywood people, they have these huge egos. They won't even deal with you. Dean's a man of the people, which I respect so much. He actually, you know, that Superman, he tries to not just do it on the screen. He tries to do it in real life, which I respect. Truth, truth. So Little Angels is a movie I wrote, produced, directed, starred in. Um, and we're just about, like, I'm literally waiting to hear if we got this uh, distribution deal. Um, so I can't say that we're, we've got the deal yet, but it should be coming out this year for sure. It's a great movie, kind of in the vein of Mighty Ducks. It's about a big-time college football coach who screws up, does something that gets him sort of canceled, if you will. Uh, and he has to uh, coach a bunch of under 13-year-old girls soccer players um, and and to, to redeem himself. And through doing that, he learns a bunch of lessons and has a great time. Well, and it's I, a cute, cute movie. And you know, you know, actually, I spoke to Kevin Sorbo recently, and he said that he was talking to some of the major streaming services about having, you know, a faith-based productions because now that's really blowing up. And he said that they were so interested, they were really interested, and even though he was kind of skeptical at first, then it ended up fizz fizzling, fizzling out. Excuse me. Why aren't these major streaming services going? Or actually, you know, they'll make them. They'll make cuties. They'll make the most disgusting content. Why don't they make <laughs> faith-based stuff too? Don't you think they should do that just to even it out? Just if just to show that they're not biased in one way. So, do you think those ever those major streaming services will ever start using more faith-based content? Of course. I mean, Pure Flix is like the number one faith-based streaming service now, and they do very, very well. In fact, Kevin and I were both in the movie that sort of made Pure Flix, which was 
God's not dead. Um, but uh, there's there will be more. I mean, there was the Hallmark Channel for the longest time. I did a lot of Hallmark movies on television, yeah. and they had a great rise. Um, and then uh, the guy who, who was the head of that ended up leaving over some commercial or something like that. He ended up starting the GAC, the Great American Channel, I guess it's called now. And they're and they're now the fastest rising you know group um, uh, or television station. So I think that there will be more and more of that because you can only so watch so many uh, you know projects like cuties yeah. um and, and and you know there's a time where you want to sit down with the family and watch something that means something to everybody in the family and um if it has to be in pure flicks or on the, uh, the newest or next streaming service that maybe kevin and i can work in together uh who knows what it'll be uh, but i think there certainly needs to be that sort of a, a platform and and, and and i'll support it completely well you guys go support little angels go support dean go support superman thank you so much for coming on i'm sure melly wants to say goodbye yes <laughs> You're a legend. It was great talking with you today. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you. You're way, way, way better looking than Alex. Oh, oh no, she's not. You can't be better Thank looking you. than me. Look at me. I'm so cute. It's impossible. I'm the cutest ever. Nobody. All right, get out of here, Dean. Thank you again, Bye. man. I'll Thank talk to you, you soon. Have a good one. Cheers, all. Thank you. All right, that was great talking to Superman. What did you think about Superman? Uh, he's even more super, in, in, even though it wasn't in person. He's even more super over Skype. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of counts. I mean, you do a lot of streams, you do a lot of interviews, and you can do, I mean, a 15-minute one, you know, mm. I feel like I know him. But I'm talking about when you do an hour-long podcast with somebody, right. oftentimes you can feel like you know them, like you're oh, yeah. become good friends with them. Exactly. Kind of like how like we this, became friends. Just, hey, cause, just because we've been <laughs> on streams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny how you become friends like that. Oh, 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 and I had these videos. I, I don't want to forget. So so uh, I pulled this video earlier today. Sorry, we're talking about friends, and I, I just get sidetracked. But, but speaking of friends, this this next video is about a pastor. And I, I never even found which church this is. I don't even want to know which church this is because I don't want to try to, like, you know, encourage people to even go and troll these people because this guy is insane. But uh, if we have the clip, let, Melanie, I want to get your opinion. Okay. I don't want to even say anything. I just want to roll the clip. All right. And then we can discuss. God is gay. God is a lesbian. God is trans. God is gender non-binary. God is straight. God is cisgender. God is black. God is white. God is Middle Eastern. God is Asian. God is differently abled mentally and physically. God is able-bodied. God is you, and you are God because you are a reflection of God's divine image. Uh, wow. <laughs> He's like throwing darts at a board. Okay, one of these got to land. <laughs> I mean, everything. He said God was disabled and God is able. Listen, I, I, obviously, I don't agree with what that guy said. But like I, in some sort of weird like New Age church thing, I could almost, and, and that, I don't think it's just his church. There's a lot of like churches where they're saying like Christ is trans because he oh. transformed from the father son the holy ghost i've, I've heard that and, 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 and the they them god is they no, them that, obviously that's insane I, but i'm saying like <laughs> with that if, if you if, if, but i've heard them say that argument i'm like okay well i guess he transitioned to something so maybe he's trans i'm not saying god is transgender i'm not saying that but if he would have just said that i'm like okay well he's some one of these fruitcakes but he literally said god is disabled how could god be disabled i just don't under, even i mean that that the guy that created everything is disabled. I mean, what are you, what are you talking about, bro? It makes no sense. But this is just like talking about how woke ideology has hijacked everything. And now it is just trying to take over Christianity as well. And I think this is why it's more important than ever uh, for those who call themselves Christians like myself uh, to, to truly, we have to define what it is to be a Christian again, because so many people are just wearing the label yep. and saying anything goes, but to be a Christian, you got to believe in the Bible and it's right there. And to say these things, oh, God is this, God is that, that is against the Bible. It's just, it's heresy. You know what I think it is, Melanie? It's what I do. It's called astroturfing, where I pretend to be like a crazy liberal leftist. And I think people are pretending to be fake Christians <laughs> to make leftists look bad. They're pretending to be Christians. They hate Christians, but they're pretending to right. be ones to make Christians look bad. And because the Christian faith is the most forgiving and the nicest faith, it's probably the biggest target for people like this. Because I don't imagine, I don't see him doing this uh, at, at, you know, 
I, I don't see them at a mosque doing this. I've never exactly. seen that. But I always see it at churches quite a bit. Exactly. Yeah, they, they love to come after Christianity. And it's a, to the point now to where if we are speaking about just biblical principles, right? Okay, um, you know, I believe in the Bible. Then you get called an isterophobe or just like, how dare you say you're against this when you're a Christian and the Bible is against it. So it just makes no sense. They take uh, scripture out of context, the whole, um, you know, talking about judge, let's not you be judged uh, to a hypocritical standpoint. And they twist that to the point to where you're not ever allowed to call out sin. You're not ever allowed to call out things that you disagree with or anything like that. And it's just gotten insane. No, it really has. And like even so, so much so um, uh, for me, I believe I'm not a homophobe. I'm not a transphobe. Mm -hmm. But this is the problem with me. I, the pride flag, which I think is necessary. I think it's good outside of a gay bar. But for me, when you put a pride flag in a classroom, the only difference between a gay man and a straight man is their sexual preference. So I don't know why in an elementary school are we even talking about people's sexual preference. Right. I, I just don't understand. I'm not anti-gay. I, I really don't want to come across as that. But it's so weird how they've kind of just like polluted everything into this social justice narrative where it's like, uh, if you don't have a trans flag, you're a bigot. If you don't have the flag, it, it's a Seinfeld episode where he won't wear the pin. It's this very weird group think, and, and it's attack, like uh, what I think is the attack on children. And we have this mm -hmm. next clip. If we can play this clip, this is this is a clip that I, I was shocked when we roll it. It's a, it's a, I believe it's a Netflix kids show, and it's basically about the glamorization of gay pride for little kids. So let's roll the clip. So many levels. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, those kids that are watching Blues Clues and all of a sudden they're getting indoctrinated to go to a gay pride parade. And like I just said, mm -hmm. I've been to every gay pride parade in the last 35 years of my life. I've been ever since a baby. And that's why I'm so messed up. So if you want to have a messed up kid... Take your kid to every single Pride <laughs> event possible. This I mean, is what happens. This is, this is what you, you want your kid to look like this? This is what happens. If you want a kid to look like this, then, then take him to a gay Pride parade. No, but seriously, I just don't like the indoctrination of the young children because they're yeah. so impressionable. I, I don't, I, 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 ex I have as many Pride parades as you want, but to advertise it to little children just for me is a little, hey. it crosses the line personally. And especially with transgender ideology where, you know, I remember growing up being taught like, hey, you should love yourself how you are. And that was like of the utmost importance was to try to like, oh, build our confidence in ourselves and, and try to be a good person. And and this whole narrative kind of grooming children and, and the whole idea of ki a kid being able to be trans, which to me I think is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. A kid can't understand something like that. Um, it, it's very harmful and it's very dangerous when you're talking about people mutilating their bodies physically uh, through surgery or even just through the hormones, uh, even puberty yeah. blockers. Like how can you think that it's okay to to stop to halt puberty and that it's going to be okay and that they can just go back to normal yeah after they, that. they think it's reversible like that is the yeah. biggest lie that you can just mess up this small window of maturation and somebody can just go back and all of a sudden you know have all their male or feminine hormones mm -hmm. no you when you take that that causes permanent damage and, and for me what i really get frustrated is that it's obviously gender dysphoria it's a clinical mm -hmm. mental health diagnosis and I don't think there's any mental health diagnoses that are being solved by cutting off your genitals or cutting off your breasts. Right. I would think that that would only cause more mental health issues. But I'm considered a transphobe or a bigot for that, and I'm not. So I've made that clear all episode. But uh, uh, we got to get to our next guest. 
we now welcome on a lawyer who's taken on some of the craziest cases of all time. He's represented O.J. Simpson, Donald Trump, and even Jeffrey Epstein. He's also a retired law professor at Harvard Law School. Please welcome on Alan Dershowitz. Alan, welcome to the program. Well, thanks. But, you know, I also represented Bill Clinton and Ted Kennedy. I represented uh, Natan Sharansky. Half of my cases have been pro bono for poor people who couldn't afford to have a lawyer. So I've had a you know, a very full career, but it hasn't just been for bad guys. Of course, of course. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely want to give you the props. I mean, I, it's an only an hour-long show. I think it would take uh, uh -huh. days to yeah. name all of your high-profile high uh, clients. But listen, I know you have a new book entitled The Price of Principle, How Putting Honesty and Consistency Above Partisanship and Hypocrisy Cost jobs, reputation, and even friendships. So kind of tell us, what have you lost? I know for you, it's considered more controversy for you to basically represent Donald Trump uh, than Jeffrey Epstein. So kind of tell us about the book and why is that the case in your opinion, Alan? Well, you know, I've represented mass murderers. I've represented some of the most dangerous and worst people in the world. The only case I ever lost friends over was uh, Donald Trump. And there I was defending the Constitution of the United States which says in clear language that to be impeached, you have to commit treason or bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And he wasn't impeached for any of those things. He was impeached for alleged abuse of power. So I was defending the Constitution. And my wife and I lost uh, all of our acquaintances on Martha's Vineyard. Um, uh, Caroline Kennedy, the ambassador, the daughter of the president, the ambassador to Australia, looked at me once at a dinner party and said, if I knew you had been invited, I wouldn't have come. Um, my wife was in a gym working out and some woman walked in and said, oh, that's Alan Dershowitz's wife. I can't stay in the same room with her. Uh, it just just Larry David started screaming and yelling at me, uh, saying, you're disgusting, you're disgusting. Wow. Uh, that's, uh, you know, the kind of intolerance that we see from uh, the woke hard left. And uh, it's not going to affect me. I'm going to continue to represent controversial people right and left. But it really did affect my family, my wife, my children, my grandchildren. And um, that's just uh, tragically what's happening in America. We're so divided. We're so partisan. You just have to pick sides. And that's just not right. No, you're exactly right. And Alan, a little bit about me. I'm not just a comedian, talk show host. I'm actually a licensed bail bondsman. I grew up in the bail bond business. And so I've got now, uh, personally, you know, I've been the surety on murderers. And, and for somebody that, you know, I understand that these people are awarded this by the Constitution and you are doing your constitutional duty to, you know, obviously represent them. So I, I respect that as an attorney. I mean, excuse me, as a bail bondsman, why an attorney has to do that. But has, has there been a client that you've had to turn down and you said, I will not uh, represent you? Yeah, I turned down Radovan Karadzic, the uh, head of the Bosnian Serbs, because he was a fugitive. And I don't represent fugitives. I operate within the legal system, not outside the legal system. Also, I generally represent people only once. I don't want to become a kind of consigliore to a criminal or a crime family. So I do have rules. And but I did represent uh, a neo-Nazi uh, for a brief period of time. He was denied admission to the bar. Because of his political beliefs, I found his political beliefs reprehensible. If he had been run over by a truck, I would not have shed a tear. <laughs> but uh, I felt that the First Amendment had to be uh, defended. So I, I won't turn somebody down because of the alleged crimes that they, they're accused of. Uh, you know, if I were a judge or a prosecutor, I'd be very tough on crime. I am not pro-criminal. Uh, I'm very t I love the police. I never walk by a policeman on the street without thanking him for uh, protecting us. And, you know, I support law and order, but I have a job to do. I'm like a priest. I'm like an emergency room doctor. If they wheel in the head of the <laughs> mafia who has a bullet in his arm, in his shooting arm, uh, they're still going to take the bullet out knowing that it might result in them being relieved and going out and doing something terrible. Uh, if a penitent comes into a priest and, and, and confesses uh, terrible crimes, uh, the priest has to go to his grave with that information. And a lawyer has a job to do, and it's a very important job. And if you don't like what lawyer does here, move to Iran. It's very <laughs> simple. There are no lawyers in Iran. There are no lawyers in China that defend guilty criminals. There are no lawyers in, in Russia. Um, but if you're going to stay in the United States, which is the freest country in the history of the world, you're going to have to tolerate John Adams representing the people who were charged with the Boston Massacre. You're going to have to tolerate... Um, Ed Bennett Williams and Thurgood Marshall and Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln defended many guilty uh, criminals, in, in, including one 
who he got off by using a pretty sleazy trick. He gave him the almanac for the wrong year and asked him to look at the particular date and to see whether there was a moon out. And he looked at it, and sure enough, according to the almanac, there was no moon. And so he admitted lying. <laughs> and of course, wrong almanac, there was a moon that night. But he trapped him into admitting that he lied. I don't know whether that guy was guilty or innocent, but Abraham Lincoln did a good job defending him. And I, I like to try to live by those standards. Well, you know, that's a that's a really uh, big comparison. That That's a great story. I didn't know that. But tell me this. So, so when you look at Johnny Cochran, he represented, I, I know you've had, uh, you know, obviously a, a professional relationship with him. For me, my favorite guy as a young kid was Michael Jackson. And I look at a lot of, of the allegations against Michael Jackson. A lot of them, uh, there's some inconsistencies from some of the accusers with that. I'm saying, and, and I believe Johnny Cochran, when they go back and they talk to the family members in the estate, the one settlement that I believe Michael Jackson actually paid it was Johnny Cochran that told him not to do it, and it was the other attorney that advised him that he could have beat it. My point is, what do you think about the Michael Jackson case, personally, in, in his legacy? Because I, I don't think, I think his legacy was investigated by the FBI for over 19 years, and he was never convicted of a crime, so I, I think it's kind of unfair, some of the negative legacy well, that he has. I met Michael Jackson. I gave him some advice. I liked him very much. I was a terrific fan of his mm -hmm. music and, and dancing. Uh, you know, his, his moonwalking is still beyond belief. Um, and uh, I didn't see the case. I didn't see the evidence uh, that would result in proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And of course you pay off. I have a friend in, in Hollywood, a woman, a lawyer, who says she writes about an average of one or two hundred thousand dollar checks a week to people who come in and pretend to have known a famous person and says, unless you give us a hundred thousand dollars, we're going to claim they had sex with me and raped me. And, you know, the actors or the producers say, pay the hundred thousand dollars. You know, it's not worth the publicity, the negative publicity, even if we prove we're innocent. So we live in an age, I wrote another book called, you know, guilt by accusation, the difficulty of proving innocence. My myself was falsely accused of uh, having sex with a, an underage woman who I never met. She's finally come forward and admitted after eight years that she uh, may have uh, had a case of mistaken identity. Yeah. That is, oh, yeah, she had sex with somebody, but it wasn't really me. Uh, she admitted that she may have made that mistaken identity yeah. after eight years of putting me through uh, being called all kinds of names and being attacked. Uh, finally, she's, you know, come forward and told the truth. And I appreciate that she did finally. No, and, and that was a huge allegation. And that's one thing I do respect about you, Alan, is that you actually handled the tough questions. You know, you even bring it up yourself and you've had some of the, the worst allegations. Nothing. Look, I've had sex with one woman since the day I met my wife. So <laughs> I'm very proud of that. Uh, I'm not a flirt. I'm not anybody who uh, hugs people. Um, the reason they couldn't successfully go after me is I have nothing to hide. I say, let everything be released. I waive all my right to privacy. Every deposition, every videotape, everything should be out there because they will all prove my innocence because I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with it. No, and I, I mean, like I said, I think you've uh, uh, had a lot of validity in your claims. But the, the problem is with the association of Jeffrey Epstein and, you know, the, with obviously that reputation that you're fighting an uphill battle. But but I want to show we, we saw this one clip and I just want to get your opinion on it. So if we can if you can show that, I want to I want to show Alan this this short one and just kind of get your opinion on on what this uh, what this clip is about. Okay. That was in my wife's calendar. My wife scheduled a massage. If you think my wife scheduled a massage with an underage uh, uh, sex slave, then you'll believe anything. No. Other calendar entries. Let me finish. Let me finish. I was a visiting scholar at NYU. My wife had a professional masseuse. We have checks, canceled checks, proving that the massage occurred, when it occurred, who it occurred with. And um, I've had very, very few massages in in my life, one at Jeffrey Epstein's house by uh, a middle-aged uh, woman who gave me a shoulder and neck massage, which I hated. I called up my wife and complained about it immediately. No, I've done nothing wrong. If you want to put me on trial here, you have to give me an opportunity to fully yeah. explain. You will not be a label able to make just charges against me without giving you me an opportunity. You had a massage at Jeffrey Epstein's house? You, do, yeah, do you know who it was who performed that? Yes, I mean, we know what, approximately who it was. There were a lot of people around her. her we, we think we remember, and the, uh, the person who was in charge of the Epstein House uh, confirmed this, that it's a woman named Olga who was in her 40s and was a professional uh, massage therapist.
And Alan, I thought you handled that pretty well, but 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 there is you know one thing you, you admitted to a massage of Jeffrey Epstein. I mean that sounds bad in theory. I don't know. I'm just saying as an attorney, how, how do we justify that? Because even even that clip you said you didn't get many massages, and then all of a sudden you're Jeffrey Epstein's having a massage. It just raises red flags to the conspiracy theorists that are watching. Well, it's but my wife had a massage uh, as well, um, and um, I was having neck pains, and I was representing. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, and he said, uh, oh, you're having neck pains, I have this person. Um, I've had a few massages on my neck and, and my shoulder, and uh, there's just nothing wrong with that. Um, I did nothing wrong, uh, and I, 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 I was the one who said I had the massage. I didn't have to say that. It was none of anybody's business, but I have nothing to hide. I wanted it all out there, um, and if you want to infer from having had uh, a massage um, for a massage therapist that we have checks uh, for, or that my wife had a massage uh, in Jeffrey Epstein's house, which she did. And by the way, um, Nobel Prize winners have had massages in Epstein's house. Uh, <laughs> the he heads of various uh, companies and universities, uh, it was a very common thing um, to have massages. Remember, nobody knew that Epstein was doing anything wrong. Um, uh, you know, the president of Harvard was it was with Epstein all the all the time. The provost of Harvard, um, uh, so many prominent people, uh, and um, my friendship with him was an academic friendship. And um, in, in, inevitably, when you when you uh, have a professional relationship with somebody and and you spend some time with them, including over their house with your wife, uh, years before there were any allegations against him and you have a neck pain and there's a professional massage therapist around, you'll get a massage. So I had a neck massage and a shoulder massage. I didn't like it. It was too hard and too rough. And I called my wife and I complained about it. But uh, that's it. And the person who now claimed that I did anything inappropriate has now admitted that uh, she uh, may have uh, have a case of mistaken identification. Her lawyer has admitted it. Uh, her lawyer is on tape admitting that nothing was wrong. Uh, so, you know, I've been, as far as I'm concerned, completely uh, exculpated. I did nothing wrong. And, you know, if you want to find me guilty of having a massage, uh, then you have to find hundreds of thousands of people guilty, including my wife. And uh, none of us is guilty. Yeah. And Alan, I, I don't want to infer any guilt whatsoever. It's just, you know, the problem is with Jeffrey Epstein, you look at his relationship with Prince Andrew, you know, the Queen's son. And now you look at and I know he was actually with the Virginia Guffrey in, in a similar lawsuit. I'm just saying it's just these high powerful people. It's very, you know, it's it's very intriguing, especially well, of, for well, me. One of the people who met him, one of the people who met him at the same period of time was Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, he met Queen Elizabeth. He met uh, numerous presidents. Yeah, but Jimmy Seville, um, he, the worst, the worst, one of the worst pedophiles of all time, was knighted by the Queen. So, you know, I mean, I know he had obviously these people that gave him some sort of cover, but people, people who they meet, who they're with. I met him because I was his lawyer. I, you know, I met him first as an academic colleague for the first seven or eight years. Nobody knew he was uh, doing anything wrong. Then when he was, uh, ac accused, I became his lawyer. I terminated my personal friendship with him. Believe me, I didn't have any massages <laughs> once I was, uh, his, his lawyer. And then once he got out of prison, I, I think I literally never saw him again. Uh, um, and my relationship with him terminated completely, except for some leftover things from the law case. So, uh, I did absolutely categorically uh, nothing wrong. And, um, you know, that's what lawyers do. And that's what people do. Uh, I was introduced to him by the lady in Lord Rothschild. Um, wow. And I was told, yeah, and, and uh, you know, he, he knew all the most prominent uh, people and, and hung Alan, out with all them. Alan, I had to cut you off. You're considered the most prominent attorney. I mean, of, of you know, so I, I wouldn't be surprised why he'd want to be with you. I'm just saying that with all due respect. Of course, he's the most prominent guy. You're considered one of the most prominent attorneys of all time. So I would want you as my attorney because I know you're incredibly talented. So I'm sure Jeffrey Epstein would want you as well. So I, I want to say, he, oh, go ahead. Although he complained about the deal, he didn't think it was good enough. You Everybody got him the thinks, best deal ever. What are you talking about? For the people I, playing at home, you got him the biggest he, sweetheart deal he, ever. I, Fired me, refused to pay my fee. He said I should have gotten him a better deal. So you know, well, no, lawyer. 
Well, that's how I know you're probably innocent because he didn't use any blackmail against you. So maybe you probably are innocent because he could have used that blackmail. Uh, he he would have blackmailed you if he would have had it. Okay, so so we're, we're wrapping up the show. I got to let you go, but I want to talk about the price of principle, how putting honesty and consistency right. above partisanship. And I can't even read the rest. What's the rest, Jimmy? Can we run the, the teleprompter, guys? Come on. We have Alan Dershowitz, literally a Harvard Law professor who can't even work the teleprompter. But I still love you, Jimmy. Tell us about the book and tell us how the people can support you before you go, Alan. Well, the way to support me is to read my book and to I, on my 52nd book now. So uh, basically, I wouldn't have time to do anything wrong. I just write, <laughs> write, write all day. 52 books, over a thousand articles. And, um, you know, I've tried to be principled all of my life. I try to be principled every day in court, every day in the classroom and every day in my personal life. And my personal life has been without Without exception, my personal life has been beyond any kind of criticism. And I'm happily married. I have, you know, three children, two grandchildren. I'm very proud of them. And I have never, ever, under any circumstances, done anything sexually wrong with anybody. Uh, I never had sex with anybody underage, never had sex with anybody who was related to Jeffrey Epstein, and obviously never had sex with anybody who's ever accused me. So, you know, if you don't want to presume me innocent, if you want to, because you don't like who I represented or you don't like Donald Trump, you, you want to think I did something wrong. Hey, that's your First Amendment right, but you're just completely wrong as a matter of fact. And I'm going to continue to stick with my principles and do the same thing. And I hope God gives me a lot of years for you to criticize me. No, and I hope so. And, and I no, listen, Alan, I, I actually uh, have a lot of respect for you. But last thing, because, you know, the Super Viral video where you said we should have mandatory vaccines. I disagree with you on that. But but this is the one thing that, that I have to ask you. Right, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, which vaccine do you have? I, I don't believe in mandatory vaccination uh, now. I, what I said was if the, there came a time when we had a, a real pandemic that was killing people and there was a perfect vaccine, um, that there would be no constitutional right for somebody to say, no, I'm, I'm going to spread the disease, I'm going to be typhoid Mary. The government under a Supreme Court decision in 1905 would have the power to compel vaccination. It, we're not even close to that situation today, so I'm not in favor of compelled vaccination at all today. Um, I've had the Pfizer, uh, all of them, plus the booster. Uh, and tragically, after years of not having um, uh, COVID, um, uh, I came back from a trip, a long airplane ride, and went to a Christmas party, which I probably shouldn't have, wore a mask, wow. and did get did get COVID and had a pretty bad case of it for three weeks. But um, I'm better now. Look, I'm 84 years old. I don't want to take any chances. Uh, and so um, I try to be very careful uh, and I do wear masks in crowded places, and uh, I try to stay away from uh, super spreader events, but uh, obviously not successfully. Alan, I have to say this. You're running circles around President Biden. At 84 years old, I'm saying you, you have your mental capacities on a much higher level than Sleepy Joe. And I, listen, I don't even hate Joe Biden, but he's just, you know, I think he's a little too old for the position. For now, it's 42 years. I met him in 1980 when I campaigned for Ted Kennedy for president. I haven't seen any change. Uh, <laughs> no, that's good. You know, always, he's always a little bit that way. He's, he's a very nice man. I'll tell you a story about him. Uh, I was with him in the White House for some other matter on the Middle East, and my grandson just got the call that he was admitted to Harvard. And I happened to be with then Vice President at the time. And I said, Mr. Vice President, congratulate me. My grandson just got into Harvard. He said, where's your cell phone? Grabs the cell phone, turns on the video, and says, what's your son's grandson's son? I said, Lyle. And he goes on the video and he says, hey, Lyle, congratulations. Great job getting into Harvard. Now be smart. Go to the University of Delaware. It's a much better school. <laughs> so, you know, that's Joe Biden's a good guy. Uh, you might not like his politics, but he's a good guy. Yeah, he seems like he seems like an OK guy. And honestly, you know, Hunter Biden, I got to let you go about the end of the show. I actually think him having drug and alcohol issues makes him more personable. That actually kind of makes him likable. Everybody. <laughs> uh, and I swear, because everybody knows somebody that had drug and alcohol issues. People think I think it humanizes uh, Hunter Biden. So I think that kind of helped him in, in a non-traditional well, way. I humanized in a different way other than taking drugs and alcohol. That's not not but, good for anybody. But you know what I mean? I'm just saying it, it shows that he's a real person with mistakes, you know, problems like yeah. all the rest of us. Well, Alan. There's a point to that. 
Thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to your next book, 52 and Counting. Guys, go out there. Make sure to go get that book for some not light reading. If you want to be a brainiac like Alan, go get that book. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you. All right, we got to get this out of the way. Be sure to subscribe to Prime Time with Alex Stein on all Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, whatever. I think I just said that redundant. And when you do, please leave a review. Leave a five-star review or leave a no-star review or say I suck. I don't care. I'm going to read them all because I'm a freak. And the good ones, <laughs> we will start actually incorporating into the show. So go there, please, on the podcast. Ali Best Stucky, I was just looking at her. She's got like 20,000 reviews. I I have like 100 reviews. So please, she's my coworker. She's the queen. She's one of the queens. Well, Sarah Gonzalez is a queen too. There's multiple queens here. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to compete with them. So please, for the love of God, go give that podcast a review. And before we go, before we end the show, do we not, real quick, we have the mayor, do we not have the mayor, mayoral candidate of uh, Toronto on the line? Ben's not picking up. Okay, all right. Well, guys, <laughs> well. <laughs> That's how it happens. That's a live show. We didn't only mess up the monologue today. We messed up the end. So that's always good. It's always good to mess up at the beginning and mess up at the end. That's hey, what I learned. Alex, do you still want to play his mayor video or no? No, I don't. We'll have him on to do all that. All okay, right. Okay. Okay. But you know what I do want to end? I do want to say a nice goodbye to our lovely in-studio guest, Melanie. Thank you so much for being a guest. Please tell the people out there, not the stalker, the stalker that's watching this, <laughs> I'm going to give her an attorney. I'm going to have to have Alan Dershowitz on your ass to, uh, to that stalker. So you better be careful. But uh, tell the people how they can support you and, you know, leave them with some of your, you know, ending thoughts. All right. Uh, so you guys can watch me on YouTube at Melanie Mac Go Boom. That's where I talk about a bunch of nerd culture commentary type stuff. And then I also stream games at twitch.tv slash Melanie Mac. Well, Melanie, she's a badass. Go support her. She's not afraid to call out the woke ideology that's ruining the world. But one last thing before you go. We end every show the same way, the primetime 99 way, with a freestyle finale. So please, for the love of God, DJ, play a different song that we've been playing every night. I think that is. I think. I think it's different. Ford Dershowitz, I don't care these armor armpits, and you know I am no shit. Did I just fart? No, I think I did a nasty shark. What can I say? Fascinating straight, fascinating game. Melanie Matt, high on crack. Alex Stein is in the back. I'm a pimp. This is the blimp. This is Dallas, Texas. No, I'm not Alexis. No, you can't ever outflex this. I am a super freak. For the vaccine, I'ma vaccinate you like a machine. Stick that needle in your arm. Vaccinate every animal on the floor. I'm Primetime 99. This is Melanie Mac, and I just want to say thank you for watching. Please, for the love of God, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. I love you all. Good night.